Mike Murphy, uh-huh. Fred Hugh. Oh, yeah. Murph and Fred back together again on ESPN 1000. I know. Come on, big voice guy. We're in a hurry. How you doing, everybody? Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner. Every Saturday night till noon. Not today. Oh, we're going to step aside around 11. We yep. got all kind of Notre Dame later and uh, college football. Yep. So we'll Chicago College tailgate at 11 o'clock. We'll fill you in on all that. Thanks, Fred. Busy with baseball later on today and Notre Dame and everything. Good, good. So, oh, uh, we were going to, on our speeded up little two-hour uh, show today, uh, as as we say in the industry, we're going to go guest-free. We had plenty to cover. Oh, sure. But Jesse, good old Jesse, he uh, touched base with uh, us last night. He goes, I got to talk to Chili Davis yesterday. I got some stuff. So Jesse's going to uh, slide in uh, at his sort of normal 10 o'clock slot. Plenty of uh, Jesse and Chili and baseball. Jesse covered the... Very exciting as the game progressed. Turned out to be, yeah. <laughs> Brewer-Dodger game. I started the evening watching the uh, Bulls and then back and forth. And, someone had to, right? Well, you know what? I, I like, I don't know why, I enjoy watching the Bulls. I can't watch preseason exhibition. basketball. Yeah. You know, the, the NBA, I believe, and I've been wrong most of my life, I believe they call it exhibition still. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think they go preseason. Let me. I can double All check, right. but I'm pretty sure they go preseason. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The Whatever. NFL does. Well, yeah, we've yeah. often talked about how when we right. were kids it was NFL exhibition. Then they said, how the heck can we sell these tickets for full boat Yeah. Uh, when we call it exhibition so it's preseason? Regardless, so, yeah, I watched uh, the last couple Bulls games. They're fun to watch. You know, same thing. We'll see what happens. But then back and forth with the baseball game, back and forth, and pretty soon, bye-bye bullies. Yeah. I missed uh, a Jabari Parker, I guess, at, uh, at a big fourth quarter. But we'll have plenty of time to talk Bulls later in the year. Uh, so last night... Next next Thursday, their opener. That's right. Yep. That's right. So Milwaukee squeaks by, beats the Dodgers last night 6-5 to five after having a, about a, what, 5-0, 5-1 lead. Uh, so the Brewers, whatever, though, they're now up one game to none. They've not lost in 20 days. And they've got 12 wins in yeah. a row. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I really had heard very little about this uh, this uh, burger uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, company, uh, George Webb Burgers. And I Googled them up. They've got about 30 locations scattered around the greater Milwaukee uh, area, you know, right. outlying a, a bit. But mostly, you know, south uh, southeast of Wisconsin. And the George Burger, uh, they look... On their website pictures, mm-hmm. it looks like a Five Guys. Okay. You know, it's a good-sized burger. Sure. I love Five Guys. You ever had a Five yeah, Guys? Yeah, I did. Oh! Yep. Not bad. No, Five Guys are good. Well, that's sort of what this George Webb, uh, you know, hamburgers or whatever the official name is, looks like. And they will give everyone, only in a two in a four-hour window or a two-hour window, they're not idiots. No. You know. No. If not the, all day. That's if the Milwaukee happening. baseball team ever wins 12 in a row. Mm-hmm. So, uh, guess what? You want to take, I, I mean, this is unbelievable. This started in uh, 1948. Okay. George, They've been around that long, huh? Well, George Webb. Okay. I, you know, I imagine. Started his uh, first uh, hamburger place mm-hmm. in Milwaukee. Now, back then, the Milwaukee uh, baseball was minor league. Right. 
until, uh, well, the Boston Braves moved to Milwaukee in 53, became the Milwaukee Braves. They took a powder then. One of the biggest mistakes baseball ever made allowed the Milwaukee Braves to move to Atlanta. Right. Then the Seattle Pilots in uh, whatever that year would have been, about 77. Then they moved to Milwaukee to Brewers, yada, yada. The White Sox played there for a, a year, I think. They did. They yeah. played. Uh, County Stadium. They played about uh, eight, nine, ten games yeah. there. Uh, so here's the deal. In 1948, uh, it was the Milwaukee Brewers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would call it AAA American Association back in the day, whatever. So he said, he's a big baseball fan and an early promoter. Sure. You know, he said, when the Brewers win 12, this is 1948, when Milwaukee wins 12 games in a row, everyone gets a free burger. That was in 1948. You know the first time it happened? Yesterday? 1987. Okay. <laughs> 1987, the Milwaukee Brewers right. of the American League. Okay. You might remember they had a big, like April and May that yeah. one year. So they won 12 in a row, and he gave away 168,000 burgers. Huh. It hasn't happened since. So one time, now two, since 1948, and they've got 30 locations. It's going to be, uh, I think, Thursday this week coming up during a four-hour window. One of your favorite people managed the 87 Brewers. Charlie... Oh, I thought you were going to say the 48 Brewers. No. That was probably old Charlie Grimm. The 87 Brewers, one of your favorite men. Tom Treblehorn. Really? <laughs> yes. Go home now. Have another beer. Don't bother me. <laughs> 91 and 71 they were. Oh, that's right. That was Trebs. Yeah. So uh, they, had, they had quite a team. Dale Swaim, Rob Deere, Robin yeah. Young, Glenn Bragg, Cecil Cooper. Dale Swaim, sacrificial father. <laughs> Not father. No. Hello, mother. Hello, father. Dan Plesak was on that team. I oh, wonder if he got a free burger. I'm Dan sure he did. Dan used to come out with Murph and Fred uh, back in the old yep. days. Let's see if he'll come out with us sometime. He's the best. So uh, the uh, Brewers win. They're up one game to none. Oh, how about this? Monday night, the Brewers will be playing uh, game three. Yes. They'll be in L.A. Yep. The Packers are playing Monday night football. Did yes, you they are that? against the Niners. So both games will be basically simultaneous going on. They'll all need the uh, Fred Hubner uh, two, two, uh, At least two, TVs. two free TVs yeah. uh, man cave, right? Yep. Yeah, I'm thinking I'll just come over to Fred's house. No. Uh-uh. Well, you give them all a free burger. And only, Yeah, only if the burgers are, uh, come with. They'll say, hey, you look like George Webb. Are you Fred Hubner? Yeah, where's to, my burger? They have to bring a burger with. So last night, how about this? So Kershaw. How about that Clayton Kershaw in the postseason? Cost Ned Coletti his job. Every time they'd be in the playoffs, he'd. Cough up a couple of gopher balls and uh, time to make changes. This is Kershaw starts allowing five runs or more. Oh. Seven in his last 163 regular season games. Or seven in his last 20 postseason games. He's been horrible. Oh, my God. So the left hand. Oh, how about the famous uh, anti-designated hitter phrase? I hate watching a pitcher hit. Well, then Wood- Woodruff, is that his name? Yep, Brandon Woodruff. Left-handed hitter. We didn't pull the uh, sound bite mm-hmm. off of FS1, which is hard to say in, into my uh, remote. You know, you say uh, turn on HBO or, uh, you know, FS1. I always try to really enunciate. It was actually better with Dan Schulman on the radio because I heard it on the radio. I, had, I was listening to AM1000. It, it was a great call ESPN on the radio. 1000, of because course. they talked about how, you know, pitchers are sometimes pitchers are just excited to be at the plate and boom. Well, the TV guys were saying, he's taking a pretty good cut for a pitcher. Yeah. And the next bit, swinging a foul, 
well, you know, this guy's taking a really good cut. Uh-huh. And then the next pitch, boom, shakalaka. Yep, 407 uh, feet. 407. Yep. They said, look farther than that to mm-hmm. me. But So, uh, oh, I hate watching the pitchers hit. I, oh, tell you what, Felix the Cat, Felix Reyes, Give us a little uh, Twitter poll music there when you can get that pulled up there. I have a very important Twitter poll. We're already getting some action. Vote right now at ESPN 1000. Jesse Rogers at 10 a.m. Chili Davis. He talked to him at length on the phone. Uh, Here's the uh, question on the board right now. Tariq Cohen is the most exciting, fun-to-watch Bears running back since Walter Payton. Okay. A, B, or C. A, yes, I agree. B, well, maybe. Let me think about it. C, no way. All right? Tariq Cohen. Vote right now at ESPN 1000. Tariq Cohen is the most exciting funder watch Bears running back since Walter Payton. Let's, come on, Murph. Are you kidding me? There's been a lot of bears. Run- okay, then vote. No way. Uh, Felix the Cat. I, I understand we're getting some comments on that in a moment. You can read some of those. Is that true? Yeah, I could. Okay. Well, you know what? Just give me a hint. Is the voting like, uh, you know, 33, 33, 33? Uh, uh, is, is, some, is one of the three pulling away, I guess would be the phrase I'd like to ask? Uh, I would say, yeah, two are close and one's far yeah. away. All right. All right. Let's put a, let's put a little uh, pencil to the paper here, the three of us. Fred, Felix, let's start off the top of our head. Start uh, just jotting down names of bears. Now, this is, again, for the third time, the most exciting, fun-to-watch bears running back mm-hmm. since Walter Payton. All right, uh, we'll go way back just after Walter was Neil Anderson. Way back was uh, Rashawn Salam. Don't forget a Raymond Harris, Raymond. the ultra back. Raymond, the ultra back, yep. very good. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Matt Forte recently. Yes. Mm-hmm. More recently. Yep. Oh, I gave this guy that I thought the greatest nickname ever, and then he was no good. Cedric Benson. Remember the uh, Bunsen burners yeah. back in the grade school or yep. high school? Uh, what was that? Biology uh, or yeah. chemistry? Biology. S- I thought this would last. Cedric the Benson burner. You know what? I was the only one that ever used it. I learned right then. You can't force a nickname. No, you can't. It's got to be what they would call organic. Yep. All right, so who do we have so far? Neil Anderson, Matt Forte, the ultra back Fred at Raymond Harris. Uh, Cedric the Benson Burner. I know people are yelling right now. Felix, who you should, who we should put you? Thomas Jones in there. Oh, Thomas, Thomas Jones. Jones was great. Yep. Now a star, uh, a TV star, he movie is. star. Yep. Did we say Rashan Salam? No, we didn't. For good reason, we didn't. But he no, was. He, he had a nice year. All right. How about the, you didn't mention the A train there, did you? No. You used to blow the whistle for the A train. Anthony. Right, you know what? He was—he might have been the best of the lot, right here. He was pretty good. He was right there with uh, Forte and Neil Anderson. Did you, uh, Curtis Enos? Yeah, he sucked. But he's on the list, yeah, right? He's on I the mean, list. We're, we're trying to quick off the top of our head. All right, 
You were hoping he'd be good, and he was not. 332-3776. If you can tell us any running back the Bears have had that fits this criteria right here, okay? And then I want to get the uh, what the vote is uh, going right there, Felix. Tariq Cohen is the most exciting, fun-to-watch Bears running back since Walter Payton. Yes, I agree. B, maybe, got to think about it. C, no way. Now, remember the question again. The most exciting running back. And fun to watch. Yeah, and fun to watch. We're not necessarily saying the one that gained the most yards or the scored the most touchdowns, but mm-hmm. the most exciting, most fun to watch okay. running back. All right. So, uh, Felix, the runaway uh, leader has to be, yes, I agree with uh, Murph. <laughs> right? Nope. No. That is not right now. You have got to be flat out kidding me. Do you want to know yet? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. So with the lowest percentage we have at 17%, we have yes, I agree. At 36%, we have maybe and 47% no way. All right. Then who the heck is it? Who the heck? Since Walter Payton. Half of the voting has said that he's not... It's unbelievable. No, Murph. No way. Tariq Cohen is not the most exciting, fun-to-watch Bears running back since Walter Payton. I would like if someone just call and tell me who is more exciting between Walter and Tariq. 332-3776. You know our famous phone number. 312-332-ESPN. What are they writing there, Felix? Well, I can't take this. Some people wrote Matt Forte. It was, but, was, was more fun and exciting. All right, well, yes. you know what? And then, he was terrific. He was terrific. And then some people, it seems like they're not paying attention to the question. The question. And they wrote Devin Hester, but Devin Hester wasn't a running back. No, he wasn't. Never. No. Maybe on a trick gadget play once. Yep, he was not. And that's all we have right now. So I'm actually I'm curious very disappointed. to know. Mm-hmm. I'm very disappointed. Because we usually have uh, the city's uh, smartest listeners and voters here from 9 till noon. Okay. Now, let's, let's, let's look at this, Fred. Do you know Thomas Jones in 2005 rushed for 1,335 yards? That's unbelievable. And then Anthony Thomas. He was, he was terrific for a couple of times. Uh-huh. 1,183 yards. Why is there so little talk... About uh, Tariq Cohen. I, I see. There's something. I remember Fred, and you remember I, a year. You know, not this season. Right. His rookie year. So I took all Route 45. You know, Mannheim Road. I was like to drive it from Orland Park, go through the cornfields, get down there to Bourbon A. It was Bourbonus when I was a kid, but mm-hmm. they, they didn't think it sounded uh, right. So they, oh no, we're no longer Bourbonus. Okay, fine, whatever. And I, I got, I went there one time, one day, you know, fan, yeah. just walked in, you know, and uh, you had to do the pre-screening thing, and you had to have the free coupon or right. print, yep. whatever. And I'm watching, and there's no, you know, I'd read about Cohen, and so I'm watching his number 29. He's making moves I don't think I'd ever seen a Bears player make before, and I'm counting, you know, now, Walter had his style, Yep. and there's not, we're not comparing Gail Sayers, I go back far enough, Fred. To yep. you, to, My favorite running back of all time. He was terrific. Yep. 
but he was big and powerful in the upper body and straight ahead fast, mm-hmm. and and he had the moves. Yep. But I've never. There was a guy before anyone here listening was alive, Willie Gallimore. You can Google him up. It's amazing what he could do. But I'm watching this guy Cohen, and I was very surprised last year that more uh, people and writers and there wasn't that more talk, you know, about Cohen. And and now this year, well, how about his touchdown? The last last time the Bears played. Shotgun, Trubisky, and a touchdown to Cohen. Nothing tricky about that. So in practice, they go after Tariq Cohen is a nightmare matchup. I don't care what kind of linebacker you are in coverage. You've got to help. And he's going to work Levante David, number 54, one-on-one. He's going to set him with the outside, and he's got no shot. That's too easy. You want to force him to go outside. If you force him to go inside, he has a throwing lane. That's the easiest throw a quarterback can make, the inside throw as opposed to putting it outside. So highlights there on Fox TV. Yeah, he brought up a great point there, too, because a lot of the uh, quarterbacks in the league who are throwing all these touchdowns, they're throwing them right across, right over the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the middle of the field is wide open right now because of the way they're spreading the field around. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see the we, the uh, Bears do more of that tomorrow against Miami. Say that again slower about spreading the field. Yeah, the, the, the Rams do it, the Chiefs do it, and mm-hmm. the, the, leaves the middle of the field wide open because they're spreading it out. So and, the mi- uh, middle, middle of the, of the field is wide open. And that's a linebacker. Yeah. And the linebackers can't stay on this guy. Yeah, they can't. Anthony Barr is a linebacker from Minnesota who's really good, but he is all. The only times I've seen his number this year is when he's running after line, after running backs or tight ends down the middle, and he can't keep up with any of them. And especially he did that in the Rams game, and uh, it was unbelievable. Now I'm no defensive coordinator. I'm no Vic Fangio. The defenses are going to have to start putting in six cornerbacks against the Bears. Six, I'm sorry, six defensive backs right. against the Bears. Which means when you hand the ball off then to Howard, he's going to be matching up with a guy that's lighter and smaller than a linebacker if he pops through the front four, right? If he gets through the front four, right. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah, Let's go to the phones. Jesse at 10. He's been talking to Chili Davis on the phone. Can't wait to hear Jesse. Let's go to... Uh, Chili took his call. That's nice. Jamie. Or maybe Chili called Jesse. How do you know? Jamie and Hammond. Uh, hello, Jamie. Hey, I thought there was only one answer for uh, for your question. Um, Good. God, and I'm drawing a blank on uh, on his name. Um, yeah, Tariq Cohen, most exciting, fun to watch Bears running back since Walter Payton. Yes, maybe, or no way, Jose. It, it, it's maybe, and just for Tay's first, because I'm going by the, the time of duty. Mm-hmm. And for Tay's first, Forte's first two years are a lot of like how this is going, this season's going with the Bears uh, so far, where they were starting to get tough. And Forte, Forte's first two years, he had some really, really good and exciting runs. So it was terrific. If you're going time, time of duty. They're they're the only two that could even be close. All right, let's advance uh, existentially. Uh, move the ball, the football down the field here, real quick, Jamie. One last thing, buddy. Do you think Tariq Cohen, Fred, what was the word you used once, gadget? Oh, yeah, he's a gadget guy. Do you think he's just, you know that phrase, we all, Jamie. Do you think uh, Cohen is just a gadget guy, or do you think he's someone 
that still the uh, the scouts, uh, the media, the fans like us, do you think we are, are not valuing valuing him enough, or, or do you think he's just sort of a you know quick hit gadget guy? Uh, he's I don't know. I, I think he he's kind of a gadget guy, but he's gonna last. He's gonna last for a while. He's mm-hmm. gonna be he's gonna he's gonna be like just like how uh, the, the Patriots use use their little gadget guys, you know. All right. Say Edelman's in that. He's going to be like a type of Edelman type of player, I think. All right. Hey, phone again, Jamie. Good content. Well, and the nice thing, too, is... The nice thing, too, about Cohen is not only is he a guy that can catch the ball over the middle and run with it afterwards, but he's also a guy that can actually, you know, run the ball out of the backfield. So he does a little bit of both, and uh, that's what, in my opinion, makes him a gadget guy. He's kind of like, you know, Tariq Hill uh, of Kansas City, and that's what you're always hoping Mm -hmm. that he would be. Uh, after you saw what Tyreek Hill did, uh, you know, Cohen also returns punts. You don't see many guys that are regular players returning kicks anymore because they don't want to get them hurt. But uh, Tariq Cohen's a guy that's return- that returns punts also. Have you ever heard of Sam Somerville? I haven't. No. He's a Bears scout, all right? And they're like regional college. Mm-hmm. And a terrific piece written this week about him finding... Uh, Tariq Cohen, written by uh, Dan Wiederer. Uh, let's go back to the phones, three three two three seven seven six. If there's been someone more exciting and fun to watch as a running back since Walter Payton until now, Tariq Cohen, who the heck is it? Let's go to, uh, is that Melvin in Oakbrook? Hey, Melvin. Hey, what's going on, fellas? Hey, hey man, jump in. What do you think? There was a running back, a small guy. I think he was from William and Mary, uh, like a five eight, five nine, maybe two hundred pound guy. Remember Robert Green? Yeah, he was uh, around uh, before Ron, uh, uh, Rashad Salama. Uh-huh. I think he also played with uh, Raymond Harris. He was. Uh, he didn't, I don't think he ever got a whole lot of yards, but he was a uh, yeah. good change of pace back. Now there's uh, there you go, Melvin. That's the great phrase, gadget, a change, change of, of pace, change yeah. of pace. Melvin, let me just ask you this before we uh, spring you loose on your busy Saturday. Do you think Cohen has a chance to be really, really good, or is he just what he is? And do you think that he's sort of, I don't want to say lost in the shuffle, but the Bears have so much going on on offense, I don't think we're talking enough about Tariq Cohen, or maybe he's getting just as much talk as he deserves. Where do you go on that? I think because he's a smaller back, you got to be very careful because you don't want to overwork this guy. Because uh, he can be a star now, but he can be out of the league in, in a couple of years easily because he's not that big of a dude. Now, hold on. So, do you mean out of the league because he's going to get dinged up? Or do you mean just he... Out of the league, out of the league because he's going to get hurt because of too much, uh, mm-hmm. too much of a load on him. He's not that big of a back. They're, they're doing good with him. You need to get him the ball in space. And let him do his thing. They, but, uh, they say it's like running into a fire hydrant. Have you ever, Fred, you ever run into when you're back no. in Cicero, just uh-uh. put your head down and run into a fire hydrant? <laughs> How about you, Melvin, out there no, in Oak Park? I haven't done that in a while, so, uh, no. <laughs> hey, Melvin, thanks, man. All right. Thanks, Melvin. Uh, yeah, Robert Green, and he's he's right, too. I didn't know he was from William & Mary, but he was. Number 30, wasn't he? From uh, 97 to uh, mm-hmm. from 92 to 97. He was with the Bears from 93 to uh, 96. He was in the league for a little bit longer. But, uh, yeah, he only had three touchdowns in his career. October 29, 2016. Dan Weeder uh, writes this in the Tribune this week. 
That was the day, consider that the day Cohen permanently stuck himself on the Bears' radar. And, uh, of all places, at a Miami-Notre Dame game. We came to Notre Dame game later, right? 21-and-a-half-point yep, favorite over Pitt. Uh, Pace, Bears GM uh, Ryan Pace was in South Bend, Indiana that afternoon, back October 2016, with uh, Director of Player Personnel, the Bears' Josh Lucas, and Assistant Director of Player Personnel, uh, Champ Kelly, and uh, with them was, uh, here, Bears scout Sam Somerville happened to be there also. Somerville, remember his name, is the Bears area scout for the southeast region. But he lives in Indianapolis. So he had made the day trip to watch several Miami prospects playing in Notre Dame. At halftime, uh, in the uh, small talk, Pace asked the guys and got to Somerville, Who's your favorite player in your region? You know, Southeast. The Bears GM was barely finished asking the question when Somerville popped up. The running back at North Carolina A&T. Pace's eyes bugged out. Lucas recoiled. Somerville said, if he's not the best player in my area, he's certainly my favorite. Pace and Lucas looked at each other and chuckled, but were intrigued. You know what this sounds like? This sounds like uh, when the uh, Cubs were uh, scouting Kyle Schwarber. Uh-huh. And they had the meeting, and the scout says, uh, that's my guy. They go, well, he's scheduled to go in the second or third round. He says, you asked me who's my number one pick. That's my guy. Well, they end up getting Cohen in the fourth or fifth round. But the story goes on. The more they saw Cohen, the Bears... Well, they looked at him, cross-checked and everything. That cross-checked. Right. So it's interesting how this kid made it. And I still think his what we've seen is not the best we're going to see. But you know what? It's fun to watch. And as Fred was pointing out with the spread offenses, and now they're going to have to put... Uh, it's, what was there's the first match, matchup yeah. problem? Right? Yeah, there's going to be more room open because they're going to they're going to have to cover uh, not only Taylor Gabriel who's running the ball and catching the ball, but they've also got to keep an eye on the tight end Trey Burton who's got another touchdown in that last game, and um, Allen Robinson who caught touchdowns in that last game. So yeah, it's uh, opening the field, and that's what they had promised us. They promised us an offense we hadn't seen here in Chicago for a while. And that's what we saw in the Tampa game. Hopefully we see the th- same thing tomorrow. Hey, when we return, and by the way, Jesse at uh, 10 o'clock, when we return, Fred had a soundbite I wanted to listen to again, uh, Rocky Wirtz at the uh, ESPN 1000 20th anniversary bash yesterday. You were there. Yep. I want to get some of your thoughts. I want to thank everyone uh, here, Randy Merkin and uh, Adam uh, Adelovit and Jim Pastor invited me. I just couldn't make it over there yesterday. But Fred was there getting an eyewitness report on unbelievable soundbite. Uh, Rocky Woods talking about something that happened to the Blackhawks way back in the day that I had never heard about. And the Bears' next four games, the schedule, what's the best word? Goofy. We'll talk about that. Oh, beyond Goofy. Oh, beyond Goofy. Back in a flash, ESPN 1000. Busy day. Glad you're with us. Mike Murphy, Fred Hubner. Just till 11 today. Then we have some college football talk. We'll tell you all about that a little bit. 
Uh, Jesse Rogers is on the phone with Chili Davis. Uh, oh, everything will be fine now. They'll get a new hitting coach, and everybody will figure it out. Uh-huh. That launch angle, you know how important that is. Oh, by the way, this just in. Uh, the Bulls are wearing red at home uh, this year for the second year in a row after white huh. for all those years. Uh, turns out... Did the whole league do this well, or just the Bulls? Yeah, see, you're the best, yeah. Fred. You're the best. The NBA, after, I'll just say, 20, 30 years off the top of my head, but uh, the NBA has ruled, finally, there are no more... I don't want to say finally. The NBA has uh, ruled that there are no longer home or road uniforms. Huh. Each home team makes a decision. Some, and uh, there's a, a site, LockerVision.com, whatever. Okay. And uh, they have all 30 teams, all 82 games have already been determined. So if you're going to a game right. and you want to wear the proper uniform that matches that day. Sure. Now, the Bulls will... I want to wear the Los Bulls one. What is that? What <laughs> well, day that's is on that? there. That's I'm on sure there. it is. That's the city uniform, yeah. I believe it's called. So after all these years, the Bulls, uh, I guess they started last year, they'll be wearing red at home instead of white. Now, to me, this is a big mistake. If you're a fan that's got multiple tickets, season tickets, yeah. you go to a lot of games, you would prefer, I would think, to have the home team, the Bulls, wear white. So every time you go... There's different colors. In other words, the Pistons are in. There's blue. And then the uh, Celtics are in. There's green. Right. The Lakers are in. There's that yellow, gold, or whatever. Yellow, gold, yeah, right? Purple. Now. They'd wear their purple, yeah. The you Lakers. Would say, well, now if the home team wears red all the time, the Bulls, then it's always going to be red and white. Red See, and white. Red. that's where hockey used to do the right thing. Yes. Hockey used to have. Yeah. The Blackhawks used to wear the red for the first half, and the second half they would wear the white. I don't know if they still do that. I don't think they do. No, uh, they do have a third jersey. I think that they wear once in a while. But that's—I thought that was the best. But absolutely the best. Here, here comes the big butt. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no longer though will teams be automatically wearing uh, white when they come into Chicago. You can wear any colors you want. There will be more and more, according to LockerVision.com. It's actually a pretty cool site. All they do is talk about uniforms and all the different sports. Uh-huh. And now you're going to see more and more, uh, less and less of white uniforms. Right. So it will be like the Bulls in red and the Celtics. Were like They used to do that at Christmas once, remember? Sure. And uh, I always thought that would be cool. I, I got a headache after. I, th- I think I sort of like to have one in white and then one with the colorful. But this goes back to way back before there was uh, color TV. When TV was just black and white, all the teams used to, like if the Bears were playing the Packers right. back in the old days, mm-hmm. the, the Packer would have the green and the Bears would have the navy blue. But then once they put TV, which was black and white, all, all uh, 22 guys looked the same color of uniforms. So they had to go to white. All right, let's go to well, Felix. I, I thought you were bringing this oh. up because the Bears are wearing orange tomorrow. <laughs> I am. They're wearing orange tomorrow, and it's not the only time. They're wearing orange another year, uh, or another game this year. Twice? Yeah, twice they're doing it. They're doing it against the Vikings on right. November... I can't read this okay. so small. I want to say it's November 18th. In fact, uh, there's Patrick Finley today. Thanks, Fred. The Bears will wear orange jerseys for the first time Sunday since 2011. Yep. 
Uh, dating back to nine. Now listen to this. This is our guy Patrick Finley does sometimes. Dating back to 1933. I'm sure this was a press release. Maybe he did it on his own. Sorry, Patrick. The Bears since 1933. It says are 18 wins and seven losses when they wear orange. Okay. I don't. I don't believe it. There's no way anyone could have researched that. I'll just say this right now. I'm sure they could have. No. Oh, How? Yeah. How? They've got it somewhere. No. All kinds of stats. No. They might think they got it. You see, there's no records. There was no color photography back then, 1933. Uh-huh. There was no color film. There was no color. Actually, there was no color. Everything was just black and white. <laughs> you got a little Everything Jonathan Hood in you. And all the men wore hats. They all did wear hats. Jonathan did my impression. I loved it yesterday. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> who, the, who the heck is this Khalil Mack anyway? Jonathan never does your voice. Once in a while. Does he? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Usually when I'm working with him, he does it. Why don't you go up and sum up your can reference in your voice? No, he hasn't. Not yet. Not lately, of course. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so the Bears are wearing orange again uh, later in the year. I don't like that it. one at home. They in, will, at home against the Vikings. In fact, let's bring in uh, Felix the Cat. Felix, we have a, a Twitter poll question. Bears will wear orange on Sunday. Now, this has been on the board for about two or three hours, and we have a lot of votes, but I don't know how the voting is. The Bears, Aren't you glad they don't really ah, it? Ah, nothing rhymes with orange. Yeah. Okay. But the Bears will wear orange on Sunday. A, I hate the orange. B, I love the orange. C, just a marketing gimmick. I'm going to say the fans are voting. No one likes the orange. It's going to be like 10% I like the orange. It's going to be like uh, 45, 45, I hate the orange, or just a, just a crummy marketing gimmick. I think the old folks won't like it, but I think the new folks, the millennials, will ah, like it. So new... I'm going to say 40, ah. 40% are going to say they like it. So you think the new timey guys like yeah, it? I think so. All right, Felix, what do we got? All right, I always like to start with the lowest. 15% okay. say they hate the orange. 26% say just a marketing gimmick. You're right, Fred. And then 59% Ooh, 59. say, I love the orange. See, they love the orange. Are they doing it because we're near Halloween, right? It's um, possibly. Mm-hmm. But they could have also done it against the Patriots or the Jets. Hey, Felix, you're a new-timey guy. So the conventional Bears, you know, at home, navy blue top, you know, jersey, whatever you call it, and the uh, white pants, right? Yes. And conventional, you know, most on the road, uh, the, the white, uh, the all white jersey top and mm-hmm. the navy blue uh, pants, or right? The navy blue, yep. Yeah. As, and that's been almost most of your life, right? Yeah. And I remember the orange, too. But you're a new timey guy. Yeah. See, against the Jets, they're wearing the old timing, look, the old time looking uh, jerseys, the blue with the bigger orange numbers. They're doing that against the Jets on the uh, I don't 28th. Like that either. Those are the throwbacks, I can think. Jeff Joniak hates it because you can't read the numbers. Did you know that? Oh, no. These numbers are big. Well, I mean, but the blue. So this Sunday, is this going to be orange tops and white bottoms? White uh, pants? I think so. Yes. Not yeah. going or- to be like a dreamsicle where the whole thing is orange. No, I don't no. think this is I one of those. I think it's orange and white. Yeah, orange. this is one of those color special games. Weren't dreamsicles the best, man? Are they still out there? Those are great. Yeah, they are. So here, Felix. Before you were watching the Bears, when they would be on the road, back when I was, you know, your age, and before that, and Fred, they would just wear gray. It well, was had, black or gray. Well, they had white on white, white 
top and white pants. Yep, I do remember that. They didn't have, and they, that was in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and into the early 80s before they started wearing the dark navy blue pants. You know why? For 40 years, they had the blue top at home and the white pants, and on the road, the white top and the white pants. You know why they did that for 40 years? White. They looked like the good humor man. Yeah, they did. Felix, you ever heard of the good humor man? I did not. Nope. I know you didn't. It was a guy that used to sell ice cream bars on the corner, and he'd have, like, be dressed in all white. Fred, remember the best, the good humor man. Yeah. You can still get uh, the you know the uh, chocolate eclair was one of my favorite good humor bars. The truck used to stop at Thirty First Street and Wolf Road over in Westchester. And the strawberry shortcake uh, ice oh, cream yeah. bar was the, one of the best. Those are my two favorites. So, Felix, what's your guess about why they wore the white top and the white pants for forty years? My guess, you said, yeah. Ah, I mean, those were the color schemes then. Now, remember, old man. Remember, old man <laughs> Stalzer. No, I okay. don't. Okay, he was my next door neighbor when I was a kid. And old man Stalzer, I thought he was about 90, but he was probably about 40, you know, but I was a little kid. You know, old man Stalzer, he'd always say, and I never knew what he was talking about, Felix. He always say, it's always, always about the money, young man. I didn't know what he was talking about. George Hallis didn't want to buy the extra set of pants. He had the white pants for home and road, and the top, he had the two tops. There you so go. that's why they were the good... Have to explain the good humor. Now you know who the good humor man is, Felix. Now I do. All right. Three three two three seven seven six. Jesse in a little while. All right. So Fred, you were at the great twentieth anniversary uh, party yesterday. I was just going to mention when we walked off the stage after the big crosstalk. Yeah. A guy introduced himself to me, and I'm sorry I can't remember his name, but he said uh, he goes, "I'm the same age as you." He goes, "You're just a crotchety old man," <laughs> and he goes, "I love it." I said, well, that's that's just me. I figured at this point in my life, why am I going to hold things back? Well, you brought up the one thing that everybody gets mad at, Chad, yesterday. Yeah. What was that again? Jim Cornelison pointing, yeah. at, pointing yeah. at the flag. Yeah, you the, flag's ever, the flag's been at the United Center in the yeah. exact same place since they built the damn thing. I thought they were, they bo- were they thing. you? Uh, they, uh, I think they were just, uh, they, were, they were moosing me, I think. Is that <laughs> like, your nickname like when you were in high school? No. Moose? No. So, yeah, Moose Hubner? So, um, yeah, but then he actually sang at, at a uh, Chicago Fire game at Toyota Park, and I was waiting. I was waiting uh-huh. to see if he was going to point at the flag. There he did, right? Pointed at the flag. See, there's nothing wrong with being out of step, Charlie. Lord knows that's what I always am. Mm-hmm. And I always am sincere with my opinion. I know you are, too. So just keep doing that one about pointing at the flag. Oh, yeah. That's not going to stop. <laughs> that's not going to stop. So, so uh I'm listening and uh, enjoying. What a great day! So all oh, our guys fun. were there. There were there were so many there were so many fans there that just came by just to say hi and talk about how much they listened. George they, McCaskey was yeah, there. They listened on Saturdays. They listened on Sundays with me and Mongo. They listened all the time, and uh, it was just great seeing all the fans come out out there. Rocky Wirtz was there. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, I'm, I'm at so home. Was George I'm McCaskey the, was there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, his Bears jacket and on. Uh, Rocky Wirtz. Uh, He's got a book coming out. It sounds terrific. It sounds like a real book that tells all, not just one of those books that, you know, portends to tell all, but really does. Here's Rocky Wirtz, and I'm, I'm in the car. I'm, running, I'm doing some things yesterday that I had to take care of, and I missed some of this. Felix, is this the one that you pulled up? It's about in 1959. I only have heard this. 1959, uh, the Blackhawks, I don't know, almost went bankrupt or uh, uh, almost, uh, well, let, let, here, here's Rocky yesterday talking about dad and grandpa, I guess. Back in 1959, the Blackhawks, the old Chicago stadium. And we lost everything in 59 to antitrust suits, so the only thing we could keep was Chicago uh, with the stadium and the Blackhawks. 
but the vision he had with with um, you know forming an ice show and finding a star and turning this happened to be a woman and turning it in in you know uh, into a uh, you know into a performance that could have uh, that would the family would like it was family entertainment the male liked it because it was a woman in a skating outfit. <laughs> the children, you know, it was great because they have different clown acts. And the wives loved it, and they want to go there because it's ballet on ice. But he understood that what you bring in, especially in tough times, people are looking for escapes and things to do. And But again, it all had to do with filling up these buildings that he had that no one wanted. See, that was on Wild and Sylvie. It's interesting. The NHL was six teams then, of course, Fred, as uh-huh. you know. The original six. And they didn't make any money. It was just one step above, like a, a, a you know traveling you know circus, you mm-hmm. know like uh, just a uh, you know like just hit and miss, and people would they get no crowds. And I'm talking about the original six, right? Uh, the New York Rangers, the uh, Boston Bruins, the two Canadian teams, and Detroit and Chicago, right? right? Yep. And that was all it was. And uh, they didn't make any money. They filled those joints, and they owned. The Wirtz family with a guy named Norris, N-O-R-R-I-S, owned the Chicago Stadium, and they had the big boxing matches. Yep, ben huge ones. Yeah. And uh, they'd fill you know, 16,000 people for that. They had roller derby. They'd get they thousands. actually played an NFL championship game there. Yes, they did. When Indoors. the weather was so bad, they didn't uh-huh. play at Wrigley Field. And uh, they didn't do think of concerts back then. You know, I don't think anyone thought of doing that. But... They did the uh, ice capades and Sonia Henning. Yep. And uh, they made a ton of money. But did you hear what he said right out of the box? Keep the music going. And we lost everything in 59 to antitrust suits. So the only thing we lost everything in 59. All right. They lost everything to antitrust suits. Uh Uh-huh. What the hell was that? Yeah. I think I know. Okay. The name of the book, by the way, is called The Breakaway, The Inside Story of the Wirtz Family Business. Uh Uh-huh. Um... And the Chicago Blackhawks is written by a guy named Brian Smith. Cool. So. Rocky, Rocky's a great guy. Uh, when we come back, still want to get into the NFL, the goofy next four games, the schedule for the Bears, and uh, what I believe that antitrust suit was all about that uh, almost that sounded like drove the Blackhawks into bankruptcy. Jesse Rogers got plenty of Cubs talk in a few minutes. I'm going to get this book. It, it sounds that terrific. Sounds like a great book. It really yeah. does. Back in a flash, vote now on our uh, few remaining Twitter poll questions, uh, including, uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Usually, oh, this one's getting a lot of attention. Vote now. Usually when a Bears, well, here's the question. Usually when a Bears wide receiver is wide open, you know, like last game, A, B, or C, A, the D, B, he was beat. B, was a bad defensive scheme. Or C, the defensive back was confused. Vote now at ESPN 1000. And we lost everything in 59 to antitrust suits, so the only thing we could keep All right, welcome back. A couple quick minutes here, then Jesse Rogers coming up next. Fred, the anti-1959, that was Rocky Wirtz at our 20th anniversary yesterday live on the Waddle and Sylvie show. And uh, talking about in 1959, the Blackhawks almost lost it all due to antitrust. You You know what happened? You know what it was? This is unbelievable. In 1959 and prior, the Chicago Blackhawks had were owned by the Wirtz family and 
uh, the, uh, Nor- Norris, N-O-R-R-I-S family. Uh-huh. The, the Detroit Red Wings. Right. Oh, and, and, they, and the, the group on the Chicago Stadium. The same two guys, families, the Wirtz and the Norris, also owned the Red Detroit Wings. Red Wings. Okay. And the Detroit, I think it was called the Olympia back then. It was mm-hmm. built by the same architect. It was almost the same as the... So think about this. In a six-team league, the National Hockey League, the original six, the same people own two of the teams. Yeah. No conflict of interest there. <laughs> huh? How about that? Yeah, well, you know, so, you so get defense, away with what you get away with. So defensive. We smell antitrust. We'll get to the... Uh, crazy Bears schedule uh, in the next hour. We're going to step aside at 11 o'clock today for some uh, college football talk. We'll fill you in on that in a few minutes. Notre Dame football, 21.5 point favorite at home versus Pitt. Jesse Rogers next. It's ESPN 1000. Let's go to our God Saturdays at the ballpark. Saturday in the park. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Jesse. It feels like a party every day. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Hey, Jesse. Good morning, boys. How we doing? Oh, we couldn't be better. We've been talking about bears. Been talking about the Blackhawks. We've been talking about the big party yesterday. And congratulations on, as they say in business, the new paper. Couldn't happen to a more deserving guy. <laughs> Fans, Jesse Rogers, uh, uh, with the uh, going to be with our company. It was. A, is it true? It was a one hundred year deal? Is that true? Well, at least till the next twentieth anniversary. How about All that? Right. There you go. When well, we reach forty years, if I'm still there, then. Uh, well, well, I did something right, I guess. Well deserved and well earned. Now let's see, you earn your money now, okay? The new, exactly the new right. paper. All right, Jesse. Uh, just to recap uh, for some of the fans that you know worked all week, busy, hadn't had a, a time to eavesdrop or read all your great work at uh, ESPNChicago.com. dot com. Uh, three easy questions. Uh, we'll go through these one by one. Number one, I want to ask you in a moment: Who wanted last year's uh, hitting? Co- who wanted John Maley out? Who wanted Chili Davis in, and who wanted Chili Davis out? So it's the, this is the in and out. Let's go real slowly, and that's just your opinion because unless you're sitting in the meeting, you know who knows. But who wanted John Maley out? Do you guess? Uh, mostly Joe Madden. Mostly Joe Madden. I think that Theo was kind of conflicted a little bit. They didn't like what they saw in the playoffs, but mm-hmm. Joe really wanted the team to use the entire field. And he's always been a little bit, you know, sort of a guy that's pushed back over the launch angle revolution that's gone on. Mm-hmm. Not that he doesn't like home runs, but the simple answer is Joe wanted to make the change um, in order to bring in a guy that would get these guys okay. to use the whole field. And that was 12 months ago, give or take. Now, yeah. number two, the obvious. So then, uh, who wanted Chili Davis in? I believe that was a Theo decision more than anything. I don't think Joe knows the ins and outs of all the hitting coaches. He knows Chili. Mm-hmm. And I think he, he liked it. Let's, let's put it this way. Theo probably signed off on, on, on Joe wanting to change the hitting coaches, and then Joe probably signed off on who Theo hired. But I think it was more of a Theo-Jed thing picking uh, Chili Davis. Okay. 
And then the obvious uh, most recent, and you've talked about it, but it's uh, fluid. And uh, I know uh, we've been saying Jesse had a chance to do a little invest. Scoop Rogers on the beat yesterday on the phone. We'll do that next. But so uh, who wanted the melee out? Uh, could have very well been Joe. Who wanted Chile in? Might have been a little bit of a consensus. Uh, so then who wanted uh, Chile out? Yeah, no doubt it was Steele. No doubt. I mean, after the exit meetings they had uh, twice with, with um, Chili Davis, by the way, they sat with him once, then continued on, um, and then sat with him again. The second time is when they informed him. So obviously there were some things going down. I don't think, I don't think Joe was involved in that much at all. Obviously he's involved some, mm-hmm. but it really, it really was Theo saying this is not working. We've talked to the players. We've seen the results. Let's let's make a change. You know, Jess, I'm looking here at what Theo had to say about Chili Davis when he hired him, October 26th. And he says his philosophy and approach happen to fit with what we hope to, uh, will be the next step for our hitters. Um, uh, we want uh, situational hitting, our two-strike approach, using the whole field. Uh, he says that happens to be Chili's core philosophy, hitting line drives to the middle of the field. Your line drives will turn into home runs. What happened? They didn't turn into home runs, so he's gone, but everything else was fine? And uh, Jesse will reestablish with him. So, Fred, that, that's part of it. I mean, it's it's sort of confusing because, in a way, it's almost as if, uh, I think when we get Jesse back, it's almost as if the organization wanted that uh, Jesse, as Fred was saying, uh, you know, it's almost like the organization uh, wanted their cake and eat it too. Can you can you get us a pitch, a, a hitting coach rather that we can we want to hit home runs, we want to walk situational hitting, we want two to go strike to the approach, opposite side. Yeah. We, yeah. We, we want our hitters to do everything possible yeah, that we, baseball players can do. Yeah, we want to do everything. I think I think fans would want that as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, it, yeah. It, it's great. it was great. It's a great thought on paper. But in reality, in this day and age, and I don't think we have enough time to talk about it, you, you just may not be able to have everything. Mm-hmm. And that's why you've seen sort of the launch angle thing take over. Um, the Cubs were pretty good at walking and hitting home runs. They tried to change from that, and it just didn't work. Uh, again, it would take a long conversation. Um, the philosophy, the thought process, you know, had. I don't blame Joe for thinking about it. But I think he overthought it a little bit too much, not realizing they drafted sluggers. That's who they are. Uh, and in this day and yeah. age, it's really tough to change. It's hard enough to get a hit. Now we're asking them mm. to hit home runs and go the other way <laughs> and do all the little things. Right. Um, o- only one or two offenses a year maybe end up doing that. Mm. And uh, the Cubs are pretty good as they were, and I think they're going to sort of get back to that. Just before the All-Star game, they were fourth in runs uh, per game. They were first in on-base and seventh in slugging. After the All-Star game, they were 23rd in runs, 17th in on-base. They went from 1st to 17th and from 7th to 27th in slugging. Did they, did, what, Chile came in, everything worked in the first half. and it, you know, Sort of. Okay. Yeah, yeah, sort of. I think that um, they, you just can't, if you're not going to hit home runs, eventually it's going to catch up with you. That's my short answer. Okay. That it, it, it was great going the other way and, and, and all that, and they did lead the league in opposite field hit. But it was a weird, ironic thing here. They were chasing more pitches than ever. I think this all stemmed from Joe's feeling like uh, about strikeouts. He wanted them to strike out less, especially with a guy in scoring position, which is the right feeling. But they just—that's not who they are. So they start—they start chasing outside the zone. 
The result was some extra, some um, opposite field hits, but it also played into the pitcher's hand. Once the, the opposing pitcher realized they're going to chase, well, then they're going to keep pitching you outside the zone. You're never going to get a cookie to hit uh, out of the park. So it just it, it, it kept on going in that direction. I think once teams realized the Cubs were just willing to hit that ball to right field or left field, they stopped giving them strikes to hit for home runs. I mean, that again, that's my short answer. Um, they're, they're, in an, it, here's the bottom line. Chris Bryant said it to me. In an attempt to strike out less, they swung at worse pitches. Does that make sense to you guys? <laughs> they, they, they didn't want to take that strike three in the corner. They mm. didn't want to get behind. They kept yeah. They swung more mm. in an attempt to strike sure. out less. That I don't may, know if that yeah, makes sense. It does. Yeah. It does. They get it so ingrained, don't strike out. They go, oh, boy, you know what? There's I got to put the bat on the ball. 2-2 two, two pitch yeah. down and away. And last week, Jesse, you had a great uh, uh, report, how you talked to multiple Brewers and Rocky pitchers right. who had both just faced the Cubs recently, of course. And they all uh, said, the, uh, give us that again in case anyone missed it a week ago. You said, how, what, what did you see when you pay, faced the Cubs pitcher? Uh, hitting, right? Yeah, they, they away, 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 down and away. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I'll even say who it was. Shasin was telling me, slider and away, slider down and away, slider, uh, d- bury it, all that stuff. Nothing in the strike zone. The three different pitchers essentially told me the same thing. Interesting. Um, that the Cubs became easier to pitch. So maybe that's the answer, Fred. Maybe uh, the, the scouting report uh, showed up you know, mid-season. Right. Hey, these guys are just going the other way with the ball. Just leave it out there. Let's, they're going to keep chasing and chasing. And, you know, the worst you're going to do is give up a single to the opposite field. But you're going to have to give up five or six singles to the opposite field to have a, a big inning against you. Just don't throw them a, a good pitch. So that, that again, is the simplified that's version a, of, that, of it. That's very interesting. Yeah, and you're, you know, it's hard to get four hits in a row these days, much less five or six, like you're saying, with the guys throwing 95 dirty, you know. You just don't walk up and get four, five, six hits in a row normally. Yeah. And, and uh, that was interesting, Fred. Jesse, I've never thought of it that way. There's a, it, well, here's so one, afraid, so afraid to strike, you know, been taught, don't strike out that they're striking out more because they're trying to guard the dish and not strike out. And the umpires, God love them, it's all 30 teams. I'm not saying Cubs. They're going to call that strike two, three inches outside, then it's a backward K, you're walking back. I better swing at it. It could really mess you up. Listen, this happened last night, I believe, to Justin Turner. He was swinging at these balls outside, fouling them off. Mm-hmm. Fouling them off. It was like 0-2, 4, 3, 4 in a row. Yeah. Finally, he takes one outside, and they yes. call strike three. Yeah. And, and you're, I think it's in the ump. You're swinging right. at those anyway. Well, I'm going to call it a strike, you know? I mean, it's a weird scenario. So Chris Bryant absolutely said that to me midseason. Uh, in, 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 to strike out less, I'm actually swinging more. It was a yeah. weird thing. Weird. Now, here's, the final, here's the final thing about opposite field hitting, too. And this is, a, this, you know, I'm no expert. This, this, this isn't, you know, talking to people over the last couple weeks. And by the, story, and by the way, this whole story, Murph, if you want to pull the curtain back, it's much easier to report on something like this after the season. It, it, it's sure. hard to talk to hitting coaches in season yeah. and pitching coaches. Mm-hmm. It's hard to talk to players about their hitting coaches. They're not going to be critical. Of course. So since the season ended, I've been gathering all this information. But their approach, if you really want to boil it down, because people will say, well, it's on the players. Yes. But if, if you are hitting behind the ball instead of attacking it in the front, that's mm-hmm. the difference. That's where the – how does that approach manifest itself? It's hitting behind the ball. It's, it's almost like waiting longer to hit the ball, mm-hmm. and that's how you go the opposite way. Sure. But it takes away your chance to pull that ball and hit it 500 feet. Mm-hmm. So the Cubs, were, were, were at the end of the day, were hitting behind the ball 
instead of the old way of being aggressive and getting out front. Because you really do want to pull the ball first and foremost. Going the opposite way is when the pitcher, do, you know, is it gives you that. That's your only choice to do is go that way. So these are, you know, getting in the weeds about hitting. But I think you understand what I mean when you're hitting sort of behind the ball. You're going that way, and it reduces your power. And that's what's happened. It seems like visiting with Jesse Rogers for a few minutes, Jesse. Our Baseball expert, Cubs uh, guide, followed him around all years. Been up in Milwaukee for the last two games. Uh, Jesse, you've been on the phone. You uh, had a, a little note uh, you uh, put out uh, last night. Uh, I talked to Chili Davis. This is your words. I talked to Chili Davis uh, Friday. He admitted things don't always mesh. And you put mesh in quotes. He admitted, Chili Davis, that things uh, didn't always mesh easily or enough between him and the players. A perfect grammar. You went to NIU. You didn't say between he and the players like a lot of people would do incorrectly. Good for you. You went to journalism school there. So, Jesse, what did he mean by that? Uh, His... It didn't mesh between him and the players enough. Yeah, well, first, let me just give you background. I talked to him for about 20 minutes, but only a a few minutes were were, were actually on the record. He didn't want to do a full-fledged interview, so that was basically the only quote I could use Mm -hmm. um, in terms of, you know, tweeting it out or whatever the case may be. This is a really cool dude, Murph. You would like, you probably know him from the old days. Great, great guy, but his, his ways might be outdated. They might be outdated now. He knows that the Boston Red Sox had a drop in, in home runs, and now he knows the Cubs did as well. But what he brings to the table is exactly what the Cubs did. They led the league in opposite field hits. They went from 28th to 20th, 20th in, in bringing a man home from third with less than two outs. So I feel like he did his job. But here's the thing. When you draft a certain type of hitter, and and they're progressing as young hitters, Schwarber's a great example to me. I mean, I think he's been messed with too much. But, you know, in general, you draft these sluggers who have great eyes at the plate, Ian Happ as well, and now you're asking them to do something they're not used to doing. And you're asking them to do it right now because there's the window to win. And they were a little reluctant. And that's where the word mesh, that was his word. I think it was a great word. They were a little reluctant. They tried it. They did their best. They did go the other way. But in exchange for what? They stopped walking and stopped hitting home runs. So the philosophy that Chile brought to the table just didn't fit this group of hitters. And maybe doesn't fit this era of baseball, to be honest. Maybe. Maybe. Mm -hmm. There might be a team that actually needs this specific thing because, you know, here's the example. He'd be great for the 2015 Kansas City Royals that won without home runs Uh because that's who they were. So you have to have this a certain team for Chili Davis and not change who you are because you can't do that at the major league level, not at this time. Jesse, Jesse, I just, I mean, and I, I was, I was glad Pat Boyle yesterday when uh, Cap brought up the Red Sox and Chili Davis. You know, Pat Boyle brought up, well, yeah, they went out and got Chili Davis. Okay, I mean, I mean, they went out and got JD Martinez. Okay, last yeah. year, last year, uh, Jackie Bradley had twenty six homers. Mookie Betts had thirty one. Okay, well, you know what? Uh, the year before, I mean, they they hit less this year. I mean, so they hit less homers, but they had a guy that was going to hit more, a guy like J.D. Martinez. You know what I'm That's saying? True. That's true. Well, that's what I'm saying. Look, it's, it's not like Chili Davis can't do the job, but it just wasn't right for this team. I didn't examine the Boston Red Sox that much, but I'm just telling you, Chili even recognized, at least midseason, they were, the, the Red Sox had 
had a uh, more home runs, and, and you know, even though he knew J.D. Martinez was there. So whatever the case may be, we, we know what happened here. It was pretty obvious. This team changed its approach offensively, and, and, and Chile admittedly was not the right match for this for this group of hitters. Jesse, uh, a little more into the weeds here, so we'll keep it brief for some of our uh, great listeners that don't like to go way into the weeds. But hitting is not just mechanics. And, uh, you know, we think a hitting coach, put your elbow up, okay, your hand's here, you know. It's also, uh, baseball's a thinking man's sport, as Ernie Banks said many years ago, right. Now, part of what someone has to teach the hitters also for every team and the Cubs Hey, here's how they're going to throw you. This might be the analytic guys. This pitcher likes to throw this on two balls, no strikes. Or this is what they've been doing to you, Chris Bryant, on two balls, no strikes. They've been pitching you backwards. In other words, you would think on two balls, no strikes. In the old days, they'd throw a fastball because they don't want to walk you. Now they might throw a curveball, even though it's 2-0. and That's called pitching backwards, as is the uh, reverse. So I don't know how much the hitting coach does this or if the analytics guys do this but watching the game last night and you and you could see uh it, it was like a, a two balls uh no strike count who hit the home run uh oh was it uh machado, machado. it was two balls yeah. no strikes and they threw him you would think a fastball's coming right no right, they threw right. him a curveball backwards on two and oh and he sat on it and hit it about a mile and a half towards uh you know Wawatosa, which would actually be a foul <laughs> foul ball i know how the park's laid out don't get me wrong but how much of that thinking in general do you guess is also part of the hitting coach or is that the analytic guys also sit down the players and go over everything with them it's it's a combination. I mean, that's why you have two hitting coaches. Uh, you know, there's usually if you if you have the right combo of hitting coaches, one's more technical, um, and one's more pat on the back kind of guy. Mm. And I think Maley and Hinsky were a good combination when they were here. Hinsky right. was pat on the back more than more than Maley. Um, Maley was the technical. Yeah, they, I mean, I see players all the time at the video. You know, uh, you know, at the computer looking at video and going over charts. They do that. In fact, I mean, here's where I'll, I'll go the other way, though, Murph. In talking to people, not players, all players, but the people close to the players, people in the game, the Cubs may have been too much information. You know, I, again, Schwarber, let that guy just go hit. I was for, just going to bring yeah. that up. Go ahead. I love yeah. what you're saying. Go ahead. For twenty for 21 years, Kyle Schwarber just, just saw the ball and he hit it. Now, I know you can do that in college and the minors a little bit easier than the majors because in the majors, mm-hmm. they know your weaknesses and these pitchers are so good and all that stuff. But I think there's a little paralysis by analysis going on, a little bit, with, with some hitters at least. Not everybody needs all that information. And I'm just going to use Schwarber because I know him pretty well, and I went down in Tampa and saw him last year. I think that guy just needs to, to rip it, you know? He's got a great natural eye to play. Well, that's so why they, they, that's why they, they like to show up and swing a bat. Yes, and that's why they liked him. That's why they drafted him. Stan Zelensky loved a, him. Right, he's got a tremendous yeah. eye. He walks. Yeah. He's one of the best, best hitters because he walks. He knows when to swing, and all of a sudden now you get people getting into his head, and all of a sudden he's second-guessing himself. Why does he look yeah, like no, he's okay. late? I see he was never late. Excuse me. Schwarbs was never late on a fastball that I recall in his early years and probably in college. Now he's late on the fastball. What? Has he gotten old overnight? Has his reflexes slowed down? Maybe. I doubt it. It's almost like we're leading into right here. They're telling him this, they're telling him that, but before he knows it, the ball's past him. I don't know. I'm just saying. 
I think you're right. And again, we don't know this for sure, but I think you're right. That's a guy that you saw in between many times, sure. either taking fastballs or swinging through them late. That's not Kyle Schwarber. Let that guy mash. If he's right, he'll be hitting a ton to left center and a ton out of the ballpark to right, and he'll be walking a lot. And then he'll have his bad moments, too. He'll still strike out a lot. But I'd rather have that than this, this trying to go the other way thing. And, again, I, I understand the, the thought process. You want to – I mean, this is Joe – RBIs come from the opposite field. That's his velocity. But that may have been right in the 90s, 80s, 70s, 60s. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's so right now. You see home runs even in the playoffs, which is something we used to say, oh, they don't hit home runs in the playoffs. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Look at the AL. Look at Manny Machado yesterday. So the, the game has changed. And there's one thing that Joe may, have been, may be stuck in the old school on, you know, spraying the ball all over the field. You love it if you can do it. But not many guys can. So you take what you can get. And you know what? What they got was three straight appearances in the NLCS in a World Series championship, and they decided to change it. Jesse, what a lot of, you know, I had talked and criticized, uh, you know, me with managers, but I've also said something similar about hitting coaches in the longest time. And I used to talk to Greg Walker once in a while, and I asked Walker, I said, what do you do with a guy like, you know, you know, Alexi Ramirez, a guy that swings, he's got an off, a weird swing, but he goes, when he's hitting, I don't talk to him. When he's not hitting, yeah. he comes to me. Is that the same way? Or when Chili Davis came, did they try to change guys that were already doing things a certain way? Well, he tried to change Jason Hayward, obviously, and it worked to an extent. Right. I don't think he was trying to change swings. He was trying to change approaches. Okay. And, again, that comes from Joe. He was trying to change approaches. And that comes from, again, hitting the ball behind, you know, hitting behind the ball instead of getting out in front and trying to pull it and that kind of stuff. Now, I mean, Theo said it right. It's not like they wanted to exchange power for opposite field hitting. They wanted it all. But right. it, it, sometimes it's not possible. And this is where, if you want to be critical of Joe Madden, this is where you should be. I said this on the air a week ago, and I still think the analogy works. You know, batting stroke or pulling a pitcher at the wrong time, to me that's equivalent of a physical error. Like, players make physical errors, right? Baez makes them, and he's still a great player. Managers make them, he's still a great manager. But when a manager institutes a philosophy Mm. change, which may really hurt the team, that's where you can be critical of Joe Madden. And you see Theo now taking... Um, sort of charge back. And, and, and look, if, if, if it was a four-year deal for Madden, he might be gone. He might be gone. But he had one year left there to give him a shot. But you see Joe, you see Theo taking charge a little bit more. We're not going to do that philosophy. We're not going to do this. You know, uh, I, you know we, you, I think you guys know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, and that's why I, I, I'm not going to disagree that Joe was a little bit on thin ice there. If not for that extra year, he, he may, they may have made the change. Um, but, uh, look, Joe's very smart and understands hitting. But I think that maybe he went too far with this thing. Jesse, just a minute or two left. Always great to visit with Jesse Rogers. And, uh, Jesse, uh, now I hear from inside sources that uh, everyone at uh, Wrigley Field, all departments, marketing, concessions, scouting, advanced uh, scouting, the metrics guys, that... Uh, they they want wins over there badly for a lot of reasons. And one of them is that there's a lot of money involved, as we all know. Oh, they're printing money, we yep. hear that, which they are. Also, though, I hear that they got about a one, this would be the Ricketts family, they got about a $1 billion debt service right now to win trust. And they've built up all around the ballpark, everything there in the triangle and the, the hotel. I mean, you know, it's like buy a mortgage. You know, they got a lot of money on the books. 
debt. So they've all been told over there, listen, we got to win. We've been instructed to win. Now, looking back, and I never said this, so it would be a total second guess, probably after the World Series in 2016, probably. Again, I didn't say it, so I'm not, they should have probably traded one, they should have probably made a big trade. Okay, I can understand where you say, you know what, why mess with something? Or then after 2017, they probably should have made a big move, one of their existing guys, and they didn't. But I never advocated it, so I'm not going to, you know, tap dance on that uh, grave either. But Mm. right now, Jesse, I think it's almost imperative. And I think Theo's in a pickle because he's got to do something. They got the TV deal one year away. I think he's got a number one, bring in a big, even though they're, they got a lot of debt money, debt service, they got a lot of money. They've got to spend money. I don't see how they cannot bring in a Harper if he's, if he's at all interested in coming here. I don't see how they cannot bring in a second baseman. They have no second baseman right now, like the DJ LeMayu, who's much less money, but still money. They got to get another pitcher somewhere. They have nothing in the farm system, so Theo's going to have to trade two or three of the number one picks. Certainly not Bryant, but we all know who the others are. They happen to Schwarber and Neil Mora. He's got to make moves. He's got his biggest offseason ever. It was easy in the past, though it worked out great. Don't get me wrong. It was hard work to do everything and win the World Series. But this is his winter. He's got to be doing something big and a lot of things. In my, He can't sit still. Well, you know, Cap kind of presented the same scenario to me, and I pushed back a little bit because it is still a 95-win team despite a lot of mm-hmm. issues we just went over, True. mostly hitting, but yeah. also those injuries. But I don't disagree. He has to make one big move. I think one big hitter to shake things up is the move. I don't think he has to make three or four, but as you bring in one big hitter, you're probably going to move two out or something like that. I agree. So there, there's one big offensive move to be made. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to touch anything with your starting staff except for pick up Cole Hamill's option or re-sign him, whatever. Smiley might be Smiley might be huge too. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, Smiley, Darvish. You 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 don't have to touch your starting staff. Just re-sign right. Hamill's or pick up the option. Mm-hmm. But you do have work in the bullpen. You do. But I don't think in the in the in the starting uh, position player base. You have to overhaul. You did the hitting coach thing. You're going to try to get back to, to, to the old ways. We'll talk about who the next coach might be. And you bring in Harper or Machado to shake it up and, and put another big bat, proven bat, in the middle of that okay. lineup. Okay. I, I do think you do that. If you can find that quintessential leadoff hitter, fine, um, because that way you don't have to use Zobrist up there, who was pretty darn good at hitting 310 in the middle of the order, too. Sure. But that, to me, is it, it's one big move in the middle of that lineup. That's my feeling on the offseason. Jesse, a great job. Fred? He wanted to mention uh, the possibility of uh, next guys. And we were running out of time, Jess, but I don't want you to not be able to mess with Well, here, real quick, and our good buddy Mark Gonzalez had five names today, and I've heard you mention all these. uh, Haynes, Hinsky, Iowa Posey, uh, the minor league uh, guy used to be with the Cubs. Dave Madigan used to be, Madigan used to be with Theo. uh, Kevin Euclid. Any of those stick out, or what do you think? Five-horse race? Yeah, well, one thing, someone brought up David Ross yesterday. I don't think, they haven't even talked to him about that. I found that out. Um, I, I think it's narrowing down to Iaposi. I really do. I think that's going to be the next sitting coach from everything I'm hearing out, you know, outside the organization and stuff. I think it's going to be um, Anthony Iaposi. He was with the Cubs as a minor league hitting coordinator from 13 to 15. He knows Brian. He knows those guys, Schwarber. Um, he, he has this, a similar philosophy to John Maley and the launch angle guys. Look for Anthony Iaposi to be the next hitting coach. He was with the Rangers, but don't even look what the Rangers did. I mean, it's all different in the American League in that ballpark. Plus, 
Rangers always hit because that ballpark allows you to hit. Yeah. The guy uh, is familiar with everything the Cubs are doing. Makes sense. I think that's going to be it. Cross off Magadan. Um, Haynes will be retained, mm-hmm. I think. Okay. Uh, cross off Hinsky. I think it's going to be I posting. Okay, Ron, one real thing real quickly, Jesse. Every time you mentioned today, hit behind the ball. You know who hit behind the ball yesterday? Jesus Aguilar hit behind the ball. The ball to right he, field. He the home run. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you can, look, there's you, nothing wrong hitting off the field homers. No, there's you nothing know, wrong with it. enough to do it, but... Because you know, they showed it on the re- I know you were at the game, but they showed it in the replay. Talking about hitting behind the ball, and I, I, it, it just stuck in my mind every time you mentioned. Remember it what Ron Santa used to say about guy, big guys like that? He goes, he goes, too big to be a man, too small to be a horse. It's <laughs> easy to go oppa when you're built like him, but you're right, Fred. <laughs> yeah, hit behind the ball. <laughs> All right, Jesse, great chat, man. You overstayed your uh, time Enjoy limit. Milwaukee, and uh, uh, keep those coaches moving. Now get Butterball off at third somehow. I'm sure they're not done firing, <laughs> launching coaches. I think they'll keep the pitching coach, but I think that Barzello, his act is getting a little old. He's the one that's got the pitchers supposed to tell him what to do. I don't think they're done. Jesse, that'll give you more phone calls to make today, okay? <laughs> No more phone calls. I'm going to go watch baseball. Take care, guys. Thanks, Good job, Jess. Jesse Rogers. Oh, man. The little guy, he, he wears me out. He's t- it's unbelievable. He's got everything there. Fred, we're up against the clock. Yes, we are. We're I late. Know, Felix, I'm sorry. Hey, when we return. We're starting the second 20 years. Great. Final half hour. Got a, uh, Yellow pads are filled right here with Back to the Bears. I got a White Sox note for Fred. It's ESPN 1000. Oh, yeah. Fred Hubner back right. together on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. All right, what we got coming up at 11? Usually Murph and Fred, 9 till noon every Saturday. Oh, uh, no, at Chicago's no. College Tailgate from 11 ah. to 12.30 with ah. Jay Hood, Chris Black, Adam Abdallah. Then at 12.30 is the pregame mm-hmm. for uh, Pitt and Notre Dame and the Fighting Irish trying to stay unbeaten. Then... When that's over, we're going to join the uh, NLCS game two in progress between the Brewers and the Dodgers. And following that, it's game one of the ALCS. So you've got plenty of stuff coming up after us here at 11 o'clock. You just did that off the top of your head. You got our no, schedule. Got, oh, yeah, I wrote it down. all down. Yeah. All right. You got a Make white sure pad. I didn't get it all. Yeah. Can I loan you a I yellow got, pad? No, you I gave up on the yellow. White pad. I gave up on the oh, yellow. Hurt your eyes? Uh, I'm going to the white. <laughs> I like the white ones better. So the Bears are three and one. The Dolphins are three and two. The Dolphins have uh, some uh, say 10 on the injury report, some say 11 on the injury report. The only bear that's out, and uh, of course, it's always great sport to go, oh, that's good, because it's, it's Marcus Cooper Jr., uh, the second or whatever. Fine with won't me. miss him. Senior, yeah. Now, three bears are. You know, uh, dinged up at do back. Anthony Miller, uh, rookie uh, wideout, uh, slot man, whatever you want to call him, the shoulder harness. I have no idea what a shoulder harness is, but they're all talking about he's wearing a shoulder harness. It doesn't seem like that's really good for a wide receiver to have a shoulder. You wouldn't think so. He said, I can't really reach up over my head. Okay, well, sometimes you have to, I thought, as a wide receiver. Uh, Lineman uh, guard uh, Cush. I can never think of his first name. Eric. Eric Cush, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got a uh, neck problem. He's got a neck. Yeah. Hey, did you see that? Uh, <sighs> James Daniels. James Daniels, second round pick. He's getting more and more starts. Yep. At both uh, guard more positions. Snaps. More snaps. Right uh-huh. I'm sorry. Thank you, Fred. Uh, and Amukamora, 
He's back after just a week off with the hamstring. Well, it's actually been three weeks off. Well, because of the because bye week. It's been week like about 21 days. Yeah. Because he missed a game, then the bye. So uh, he's ready to go. They say those hammies are tricky. How about uh, the Dolphins? Here, uh, this is from, I believe, Patrick Finley uh, today. If Tannehill can't go as quarterback for uh, Miami, Brock. Osweiler, yep. who went 0-4 as the Broncos starter last year, would get the nine. Yeah, he's pretty bad. Ooh. He is pretty bad. Okay. And, uh, and right now, their offensive line is struggling. They're not, they were unable to protect Tannehill last week. That's mm-hmm. probably why he's got a shoulder problem. Okay. And uh, he had uh, turned the ball over twice. There were two defensive touchdowns against Miami. They were winning their game 17-0 uh, into the third quarter and, and ended up losing. This also in the uh, column... Uh, the Bears drafted uh, a steal. Did they steal? Is it Bilal Nichols? I never know. B-I-L-A-L. Bilal. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know how to pronounce his first name. Was Bilal Nichols a steal in the fifth round? Uh, that's pretty interesting. He's been he's unbelievable. My, he's a backup uh, nose tackle, I yep. believe, to yep. a big guy, uh, Eddie Goldman, right? Yeah, he's been blowing past mm-hmm. people, knocking people aside, and just getting to the backfield. Now, here's one just for you, Fred. All right? Because this is one of your little uh, up your uh, up mm-hmm. friends. Uh, okay, uh, is Jakeem Grant uh, the NFL's best return man? Okay, now there's a little piece right here by Finley, and this is punts and kick returns for Dallas. Uh, Bears special team coordinator. You're going to have an opinion on this, Fred. Bears special team coordinator Chris Tabor. Uh, to him, the return season is beginning in the cold weather. Well, they'll be in, right. uh, Miami, in Miami tomorrow. It's not going to be very cold tomorrow. When the weather turns cold and the wind picks up around the league, he figures kickoffs won't go so far into the end zone and touchbacks will drop. All right, there's more. Okay. Dolphins uh, wide receiver, uh, Jakeem uh, Grant, is already, though, returning uh, kickoffs. Uh, out of the end zone. He's been bringing almost all the kickoffs out of the end zone, even when they're, you know, five, six, seven yards deep. He'll bring it out, quote, yeah. Tabor said. How stupid is so that? So no matter how deep it is, we're expecting the ball to come out. He's dynamic. Grant reached the speed of 21.5 miles per hour on a 71-yard punt return touchdown. Did and they he, say how many times he, he took the ball out of the uh End zone and actually got past the twenty five. No, yeah. But the interesting angle is if when the weather gets colder, yeah, the ball won't travel as far, which you know is true. Sure. So there may be kickoffs only going to see all kickoffs. I think we've agreed once. Fred should be tried to pooch it to about the one or the two. Yeah. So they have to return it and then get them before they get to the to uh, the twenty five. Twenty five. Yeah. Sometimes just kicking it into the end mm-hmm. and and Cody uh, Cody Parkey has tried that a couple times. Yeah. And actually kicked the ball short of the uh, end zone. So Let's bring in Felix. Felix the Cat. Felix Reyes. Felix, there's a Twitter poll. We have a bunch of them on board today. We've only got to a few. One that caught your attention as far as the results. Was that uh, number uh, three uh, The uh, about the wide receiver uh, question, uh, Felix? Is that the one we're going to look at here? Yep, that is correct. All right. Usually, here was the question, and the uh, Twitter results are uh, pouring in on this one particularly. Usually when a Bears wide receiver is wide open, which they were all last last game. Hopefully they will be again. A, B, or C. Usually when a Bears wide receiver is wide open, A, well, it's obvious, the defensive back, be it the corner or the safety, was beat. All right, well, okay. Or B, 
it was probably a bad defensive scheme on the other side of the ball. Or C, one of the defensive backs was confused. Hmm. Now, before we get the results, let's take a look at uh, Felix. My screen seems to have been frozen, which it'll be in a few uh, more months outdoors. Please bring up, this was a cut that I heard you play, Fred, last week uh-huh. of uh, Lewis Riddick yep. on your uh, Sunday show. Are you sure it wasn't Wednesday? I did no, a show Wednesday. No, okay. this was Sunday at okay. uh, 11... 10 okay. on October 7th. You replayed this. Oh, that's right, because there was no pregame last week. Exactly. Yeah. A great soundbite of Lewis Riddick about how uh, the uh, uh, Bears' opponents have to defense uh, their schemes against the Bears. So, uh, and they can get, they can, he used the word discombobulated. Let's listen. You always want to try and make them one dimensional. So, you're going to try and really shut down the run game for sure. So, once you do that, you don't have to worry so much about all the different ball handling and play action that they utilize off of the run game that gets you all out of sorts and out of whack as a defender. So if I'm what I'm trying, what I'm saying is the secondary people on the second level defenders have to be very, very disciplined, and you have to tell them, you have to give them very specific keys as far as what to look at because if you try seeing everything with what these guys are doing with all the different. Uh, movement and action that they have in the backfield, you get so discombobulated and so frozen and so out of whack that that's how you get huge gaps. So I think a lot of it's going to be make them one-dimensional, make it a Mitch Trubisky game to where it's a drop-back game and it's not a play-action game. Because when they get play-action going and they can use all their ball handling, that's when you're in a bind, man. That's when you've got a big problem. Now, I want to thank Fred for playing that last Sunday. I didn't hear it originally. I don't know which of our fine shows it was on. I think they're on weekly with uh, Waddle and Sylvia. Oh, cool. Okay, so uh, he actually, there's a word, I don't know if anyone's even used it, discombobulated. Mm -hmm. One of the great words of all time. So, I believe that the, well, let's hear how the fans voted. Usually when a Bears wide receiver is wide open, A, well, the DB was beat. B, it was a bad scheme in general by the defensive coordinator on that play. Or C, the DB was confused. This Bears offense is based on matchups and confusing, in my opinion, the defense. Fred, I, I, I'd be voting C. How do you vote yeah. on this one? You're, you're trying to get them confused, going one way when you want, you know, when they want to be going the other way. Yeah, I mean, I'm, they don't I'm know thinking, who to. They don't know no, where to go. They're not sure where to go they're and who to cover. Combobulated. So please, Felix, tell us that all our, our great listeners uh, and uh, everyone voted C. The DB was most likely confused. That's why our man was wide open. So at 29%, we have bad defensive scheme. All right. At 32%, we have the defensive back was beat. There we go. And then at 39%, the defensive back was confused. Nicely there you done. Go. Nicely done. Exactly right. Uh, Fred, when confused we return, DB. when we return... You know, I'm thinking the White Sox, if they want to, they can win the division next year. Okay. All right? I want to touch that with Fred when we returns back in a flash. Murph and Fred, see you in a minute, CSPN 1000. One, two, two three, three, four. Murph and Fred on the home stretch. Here's another hour to go stick around for our, all, all, our excuse me, college football talk. Fred, I was thinking about this, and uh, we can go more in-depth next week in the three-hour show. If the White Sox want to, that'd be Jerry in the pocketbook and the GM. Not to abandon, don't get me wrong, the rebuild. But you know what? That division, Cleveland, 
uh, is going to be losing some free agents, some big-name guys. Yeah. And then you know what? Detroit, Minnesota, Kansas City. You know, if the White Sox wanted to try to sort of uh, shoehorn in the middle of the rebuild, you know, a year where you bring in a, a couple of guys, or two, there's no reason they can't compete next year. No, they could if they you wanted know? to. Well, yeah. Yeah, but you don't want to spend the money on a guy that, you don't want to spend the money on a one or two year guy, I don't think. Um, there's there's bad news for them if, in fact, they uh, were interested in Manny Machado because the Yankees lost E.D. Gregorius, yeah. who's going to need Tommy John surgery, who plays shortstop. Now you get mm. the New York Yankees looking for a shortstop, and uh, Manny Machado's out there who wants to play shortstop. And uh, he could, uh, you know, the Yankees. I had heard that uh, there's no way, there's no way the Dodgers it, yeah. are keeping him. There's no way the Dodgers are keeping him. Well, they for, don't for need for various him. reasons. Not that they don't need him. Yeah, but they're set. Right. They're, set they're spending a lot of money the on their third baseman. They're yeah. spend, then they got Corey Seager coming back well, next year. Of course, right. So yeah. So now the White Sox, they had you know, and this is not a positive or negative. They had the lowest payroll in baseball, I believe, last year. Wouldn't Wouldn't you want to? Try to maybe, you know, if the division's weak, I'm not saying abandon the rebuild. Don't, don't, don't you think you might want to maybe see if you could uh, maybe win the division next year as part of the forward movement of uh, the and the fans and the players? Or would you rather just, no, 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 no. I mean, I'm not the Sox fan in the room. You know, that's, I just think. Yeah, I don't want to spend money. I don't want to spend money on the guy. I don't want yeah. to, you know, revert back and uh, start bringing other guys in because then you get to, get to the point where then you're going to have to get another guy near the end of, near the trading deadline well, and stuff like that. I know. No, you're, I mean, I understand fully, but you wouldn't be giving away any of your young, you wouldn't trade any of your young guys. Yeah. Just pick up if there's a couple, you know, middle of the road guys. It might not take much to win the division. You right. Might, you know, you could win it maybe 85, 86 wins. And, well, you need a center fielder. Maybe you well, can get A.J. Pollock if he can stay healthy well, for a year. Terrific, yeah. You can stay healthy for yeah. a year. That'd be nice. We'll talk about that a little more in uh, depth. Speaking of that, Arizona, I don't know why, uh-huh. but Arizona is going to artificial turf. I read that. Yeah. After all these years with grass, they're going hmm. to artificial turf. Maybe they've had a hard time keeping it up in Arizona in the middle of the summer. And whoever's in charge over at the uh, great uh, TV show Sports Talk Live on, uh, what is that, NBC Sports? Uh, Chicago. Oh, yeah. yeah, you know what? Put the names of the people. I don't know who the people are. You got four people. Good conversation. You knew one of them, Fred Mitchell. You knew. Oh, Fred! Yeah, Fred yeah. looked. Freddie was great. Hi, uh-huh. Freddie. And I'm thinking, you know, so like you go to a convention. Hi, my I'm Bob. Right. Just put up there, Bob. I'm Sue. I'm Joe. You know. Don't even. And then the show ends, and they don't even say want to thank our guest. Boom, 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 boom. Nope. No, they just say bye, bye. No. Nope. You know, they expect you to know everybody. Know. Either, either they don't want you to know or they don't remember to do it. I don't know. want to thank all our guests today. Jesse Rogers. Yeah, Felix Reyes for all of his help. I'll be back tomorrow with Mongo breaking down the Bears and Dolphins right here. Uh, 9 o'clock. Murph and Fred saying thanks for listening. Thanks for calling. Mongo was on fire yesterday. See you later, everybody.